0: I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection Thin Places, and this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new, and the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Drew. How you doing? I'm uh, chilly, but in a nice way. How are you? I'm good. I'm not chilly at the moment, um, but I am excited about the change of the season. I thought I was not ready for fall and then it arrived, and I am I have the like change of season euphoria. Uh-huh. like at the equinoxes, some people have that kind of like euphoric like I'm a human being and the sun is doing something feeling. and for me, it is it is when the season changes into fall. So um, yeah, the chill is the chill is making me happy.
1: It really showed up too. Like I feel like in previous years we've had some sort of late breaking attempts at summer, like even into November. And it really feels like this year it was like, nope, it's fall.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we we thought about that a little bit for the um for the last little set of episodes, Samantha Hunt, Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Amy Fosselman and and Celeste Ng. Um, we were kind of thinking, like, oh, maybe we'll do uh, early in the year, we were gonna do ghost stories because mm-hmm. that's a, that's a that's a specialty of yours, which we'll get to later. <laughs> but, um, and so we kind of we kind of did like an autumnal haunting capsule lightly, though it turned out a little bit differently than we expected or the kind of haunting we were. We, we wound up talking about was a little bit yeah. different.
1: Yeah. And as, as we're talking about like the change of seasons too, I'm realizing that the the arc of these four episodes sort of moves us from summer into fall in a neat way. Like there's this sort of dizzy, joyful blast of Amy's conversation that isn't really about ghosts at all, but that sort of has that like late summer, like, yeah, kind of vibe to it. And then
0: and it's about a beach house her book. It's about a beach house, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. And then three conversations that like progressively get more and more explicit about the ghosts.
0: Yeah, that's true. I th- I for a minute didn't feel like I understood how Celeste Ng's episode was going to be so transitional. Um like mm-hmm. the conversations we've had with Ingrid and with Samantha have been, as you're saying, sort of like more on the nose, like Ingrid's, Ingrid's book has ghosts in it. Uh Um, Samantha's book that we were mostly talking about, the unwritten book uh, is, is a very much about a haunting and talks about hauntings. And with Celeste's book, there, you know, there are no ghosts really in Celeste's book, but actually her, her book is about the people who are missing and mm-hmm. whose presences linger, right? Whose absences are felt and, and f- about finding kind of ways through art to reanimate them or to keep them with us. And that turned out actually, I think to be the theme <laughs> of, yeah. This, yeah. of this capsule, right? Of figuring out how to keep the, the people whose absences are felt, how to keep them, with us, whether or not that's in ghost form or in book form or in memory form or art form or whatever. Yeah. It's like we planned it that way. It's like we planned it that way. Yeah, it's true. Um, so we reached out to, as we, as we like to do for these little, um, end notes, we reached out to an alum, to a thresholds alum, um, to talk to him about the changing of the seasons. Uh, Drew, do you want to tee that up?
1: Yeah, sure. So we reached out to Patrick Cottrell and I was emailing back and forth and the initial prompt was sort of, hey, how does fall get started for you or what are, what are you excited about? And he wrote back and he was like, you know, I am kind of stumped by this because the seasons in Denver are totally different from what I am used to anywhere else. And I kind of don't know how I would talk about it. And then we were trading emails and I was like, tell me more about this, actually. And so that's kind of what he shared with us, a, a, a movement from summer into fall.
2: Hi, this is Patrick Cottrell and I'm in Denver where it's fall, but around 70 degrees and sunny. And I've lived here for over a year now and I've noticed the seasons change in a really slow and subtle way. Um, it's not as dramatic as it was when I lived in Wisconsin or New York City. And um having said that, of course, you know the days are becoming shorter and colder, and I'll be eating more soup and wearing more layers of clothes. And so one thing I've started to do during this time, um, you know, when time is starting to slow down more, and maybe I'm even being more of a hermit than usual, Uh, I like to go through my closet and get rid of things that no longer fit. Um, For most of my adult life, I've worn the same clothes, and the past couple years I've gained weight and have needed new clothing, which has been weird um, because I just don't buy new clothes. So I've tried to go on Poshmark or eBay, and. I buy the same shirts I've always worn just in bigger sizes so part of getting ready for winter is organizing my closet purging things and looking for the same shirts I've always worn just used online or maybe at Goodwill and I have to be careful about purging my closet because I accidentally gave away one of my favorite shirts It was one that I found online after searching for two years, and it must have been thrown into a donation bag and now it's gone. Um, Once I realized my mistake, you know, I went to Goodwill to look, but someone had already bought it because, you know, it's just a really good shirt. It was very thin and comfortable, and, you know, someone else is wearing it now in Denver. And I've always worn the same things over and over. Almost like a uniform, and that probably goes back to my Catholic school days where you didn't have to think about what you were wearing, you just put it on. Uh, but I think I'll stop here and just say, you know, I hope whatever you're doing this season brings you enjoyment. Uh, take care.
0: Okay, that was the delightful Patrick Cottrell. Uh, next we went, we went, uh kind of far back in our archive, um, to bring you a little snippet of an older episode with the great Lynn steger who's has a new book. It's called Flight, um, that is coming out at the end of this year. And so we've just, uh, we've been reading that book and loving it and revisiting the conversation that I got to have with Lynn, uh, more than a year ago. And, uh, Actually as 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 we were as we were listening back to that episode, we realized that there was a piece of it that seemed to really resonate with uh some of these conversations we've had with Sam Hunt and Ingrid and Celeste, um, about about family and and dailiness. Um, Drew, you were the one who picked out this this section.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite sections, I think that we've had in the whole show there's some there's a perfect um simple encapsulation of the beautiful weird mundaneness of life which sounds so big and then you listen to it and you're kind of like oh yeah that's exactly
0: right yeah yeah it's and she's she's talking about um about having children, about family and family and the messiness of family and, and of being a creative person, which incidentally is also very much what Lynn's next book is about. So uh we hope you enjoy this little this little reissue of part of the conversation with Lynn Steer Strong.
3: It was always attention because I, I wanna be in my head when I wanna be in my head, and your people in your life don't want you to be in your head when you wanna be in your head. Um and I had never cared. <laughs> Like, I, you know, I had never, I had never had anybody that I cared so much about that I felt guilty for just leaving the dinner table with a book on my lap. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that that was a tension, like you say, it becomes it becomes a different tension with children. And there's there's that great gift of so much more guilt with children. Um, but I think it's there in all of my attachments and all of my relationships that I want to be as invested in them as I am in my work. And sometimes that feels shamefully hard. It's
0: reminding me of something. I read it somewhere or it was like on television somewhere. I'm trying to remember where I, where I have this like phrase in my head, which is that like we like to think of the Shakespeare as like this fascinating person, but like Shakespeare was a man with his back turned to you writing. <laughs> you talked earlier about like the art monster mm-hmm. and who we imagine the artist to be and that like genius and great work requires like solitude and a lack of encumberment.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And what you're talking about is the way that in- encumberment or attachment or entanglement, whatever meant you want to use, um, can be can be this really grounding gift to creative process while it is also – really frustrate like I relate even though I don't have children I relate to that feeling of like, oh I want to be like alone in my with my thoughts and my notebook and then often when I am alone, I'm like pretty bored and cranky. I'm like not the person I imagine I'll be when I'm off in my whatever imagined writing solitude um and having to like negotiate not just my relationships, but the way that my relationship asked me to reconcile the gap between who I am and who I imagine myself to be when I imagine I might want to be an artist, um, is, is a big tension and like a big, interesting, fruitful space of tension, um, like relationally and creatively.
3: Yeah. Well, even that thing you just said, like who I am and who I imagine myself to be, I think there are ways that, There are lives that can be constructed. I do not have access to them, but there are lives that can be constructed where you can function almost solely as who you imagine yourself to be. And I think sometimes I read books and I'm sort of like, no, this character is who, I mean, I'm using your language, but, but, and I maybe think it differently, but this character is who someone imagines a life to be like, but it's not what a life is like. Um, and I think too, that's where the encumberments are so useful is to say, no, that's not what like life is not, life is not lived in cataclysmic moments. Life is lived in deciding, you know, who broke the French press, you know, like I, that's a bad example, but you know, like life, life is lived on the ground. Um, and mostly it doesn't make sense and mostly it's messy and mostly it's mundane. And I think that, to me, at least, and, and I'm sh- and I and I'm sure there are ladies on Goodreads who just think this means I'm very boring. But, but to me, at least, I want to hold something of life inside of the things that I make. And I think that if I didn't constantly have people pulling me back into it, I would I would write whole books about who I imagine people are instead of who they actually are.
0: Deeger Strong's episode. Now we have something very special that's about to happen <laughs> on this on this show. Um, the listeners may not know that this time of year is a very special time of year for Drew and Drew's reading list. Drew is one of the most prolific readers and recommenders of books that I have ever met. And October is a time when he goes into a certain kind of high gear. And so I have asked him to talk a little bit about that and tell us, uh, tell us what he's reading right now. Drew, what's, what What do you do in your October with your, with your reading? So
1: uh, many years ago, right after I moved to New York, I was in a production of Scottish play And I happened to be reading a couple of spooky books. It was happening in October. And somebody asked me about it. And as you do when you're like 22 years old and you've just moved to New York and you're sort of deciding to identify yourself in a certain way, I was like, yeah, I always only read spooky books in October. Uh, I had not formally decided to do that until the words came out of my mouth. And then I was like, damn, that's a great idea. I, I like reading spooky books whether that's straight up horror or something that has some connection to the turning of the seasons halloween is my favorite holiday i have always loved this time of year especially like when the trees start putting on a show and now it has kind of turned into a thing like i do i spend all year a little bit like um jack skellington i spend all year thinking about next year's october reading list Um, And it's not to say that I don't read spooky books Outside of this time of year But there is a particular delight And I am I gotta say I have outdone myself this year I am very pleased with the list that I've put together Because it feels like It touches every corner Of the spooky You want a haunted house book Michael McDowell's The Elementals You want something that's like a classic Spooky read The Midwich Cuckoos by John Wyndham You want something new that is absolutely going to be a smash hit that uh, you get to brag to all of your friends that you're reading. I have a galley of Mariana Enriquez's Our Share of Night, which is her first novel to be translated into English after two smash hit story collections. That's about a family and ghosts, and the cover has like a demon claw on the front. I know nothing about it, only that I hope it will be spooky. Um... And then, you know, it's, it's fun to come back to authors who I've loved. There's a man who lives in the Hudson Valley named John Langan, who is sort of a modern-day Washington Irving for his spooky stories set in the Catskills. I've got two collections of his on the shelf. Um, it's just it's, it's fun to fully lean into something that, that I love throughout the year, but to kind of, to like go all out and I was talking about it with one of the owners of the Golden Notebook where I work in Woodstock. And he was like, oh, are you one of those Halloween people? And I was like, yes, I think I would describe myself as a Halloween person. And he immediately was like, that's okay. Some of my best friends are Halloween people. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it is a like, it's, you know, my mother-in-law has been visiting us recently and she does not understand why I read horror. She's like, why would you want to be scared? And a friend of mine, Emily Hughes, who edits the blog at Tour Nightfire, once told me that the reason she reads horror, and I have taken this as my own thing, is that it allows you to experience unbelievable things from the safety of your own home. You know, I'm reading a book right now called It Rides a Pale Horse by Andy Marino that is about strange artworks that warp the world around them. And it's like, yeah, what would it be like if you were looking at a square and realized that that square had five sides, but it was still a square? And it's sort of, you can't process that. And if that happened in your real life, it would send you descending into madness. And it's kind of fun instead to like, be sitting in your chair and be like, yeah, wow, that would be pretty spooky. Turn the page, you know? There's a, there's a, you get both. I'm safe and I'm scared.
0: And that's kind of fun. I am, I share none of this with you <laughs> but like i guess i get, I guess i get the 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 quality of like finding it fun to rehearse freaky things without having to really experience them um but i've i've never intentionally read a scary book but i don't know if i really? were i mean no i don't think so i don't know i uh, it's does agatha christie count yeah Oh, okay. I'm also.
1: I'm a very generous, and uh, my my carnival tent in October is very wide. (laughs)
0: Great. (laughs) Um, But I I love. I think that actually there are many many of you Halloween people, and many maybe Halloween curious people. Um, Yes, many horror curious people, which is why. And like I maybe maybe I'm horror curious. If I were going to, if you were going to recommend a starter, a starter maybe not a starter kit but just like a starter book. Uh-huh. Um, what would you tell me to read? Like if you were going to pick one for me to try to like win me over to this to this Halloween project, where where might we start?
1: One of my absolute favorite books of all time is Ray Bradbury's From the Dust Returned, which started out as a series of short stories that he was working on with Charles Adams as they were talking about a joint project where they would create a spooky family together. Adams went off and created the Adams family. And Bradbury had a couple of these stories knocking around. And then it's towards the end of his life, it's I think uh, maybe his penultimate book release or or shortly um, before he passed, he did sort of a stitch up where he wrote a couple more tales and connected it together and it is about a a big weird spooky family not unlike the adams family coming together for a big spooky celebration and it ha- there are elements of genuine uh uh horror and and fright in it but it is so warm-hearted and in, in that way that bradbury is so good at doing both and to me, it, it was my entryway. It was one of the first things that I read when I was younger that sort of made me understand that this, that the October Country was a place that I wanted to go. And nothing delights me more than, than giving that book to people or recommending it. It is, it is so charming and whimsical, just the right amount of a little bit of scary. Sounds great. Um... There's also a new
0: one of our alums has a new has a new entry to the canon, Carmen Marie Machado.
1: Yeah, there's a collection out from the feminist press called It Came From the Closet, edited by Joe Valise. It's Queer Reflections on Horror. And Carmen wrote an essay about uh, Jennifer's Body, the underappreciated classic of horror cinema and queer cinema and music cinema that stars um, Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox. The essay is fantastic, just like the movie. And the collection is so good. Like Jude Ellison S. Doyle talking about In My Skin, Addie Psy talking about Dead Ringers. It's a, it's, I think it's 25 essays that are just talking about horror and queerness and the ways that those two things can smash together with like a, Lurid, neon, spooky cover. It's a
0: fantastic collection. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. That is one I am I am uh, going to be reading, despite my general my general uh, avoidance of horror. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm making an exception. Um, we also have, in terms of other al- alum news, um, Adrian Marie Brown has a new book out, "Fables and Spells," um, which is a a little, a little on theme for this for this whole sort of collection and discussion and um, is beautiful, and you should go check it out.
1: Speaking of fables, Lydia Millett is one of the contributing authors to a new podcast that our colleagues at Literary Hub, myself included, have been working on with the folks at Aesop called Future Fables. Her fable just came out yesterday, along with her new book, Dinosaurs, mm-hmm. which... Is a, I mean, of course it's a great read. There's also a fantastic New York Times profile of Lydia. So she really gets like a, a trifecta of perfectly timed alumnus-ness. Yeah, she's,
0: she's having she's having a huge month. Um, Dinosaurs is great. And I also really loved that that profile of her from this past weekend. So go check it out. Uh, big congrats to, uh, Ingrid Rojas Contreras for being a national book award finalist for nonfiction. It's such a huge deal.
1: And Lulu Miller has a new podcast, part of the radio lab for kids stream called terrestrials that is not just for kids. I was so delighted by it. She's having so much fun sort of just looking at, the world at Earth and the incredible things that are on it.
0: Yeah, it's it's really good. I had been looking forward to to this project. She she had been sort of teasing it without explaining what what the project was going to be. And I uh, love all of Lulu Miller's work, and so I was really excited, but without knowing what it was. And then this dropped, and it it's just even it's just the best. It's better than I could have possibly imagined.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is the I
0: hope thing. I hope
1: it keeps going too. I know it's starting as sort of like a six episode. We'll see if people like this, and the answer is yes, yes, we emphatically.
0: Do. In sh- in fact, we do. Um. Well, great. I think that's all the news from this corner, and we'll we'll leave it there. We're taking uh next week off as we do after these little end note wrap ups, and uh, and we'll be back with. More great interviews and some some kind of exciting thresholds news on the horizon.
1: Uh, yeah, speaking of teasers.
0: Yeah, at the end of the month. Bye! Bye! Oh, I did it again! You did it again. <laughs>
1: uh, goodbye.
0: Thresholds is produced by Drew Broussard. Music and editing by Laura Faye Ashwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Lorelai Grossman. Special thanks to Justin Alvarez and our hosts at Lit Hub Radio. You can find out more about our show, listen to past episodes, and get in touch at our website. This is thresholds.com. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform and you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you normally listen, and subscribe and review us there. Thanks. We'll see you next week.